0: Amen. Hey, everybody. First John chapter three in your Bible. If you don't have one, there's one around you somewhere. I would highly recommend you follow along in your Bible. First John is near the end of the Bible. A few books in from the very end. We've been studying through this book together as a as a Christian community for a few weeks now, and we are right in the middle of it. If you didn't receive an outline, lift your hand up and we'll get one to you. Uh, this is for you just to take some notes, um, draw pictures, however you learn. That's for you. Everybody good? All right. My goodness, man. I feel like you guys are sleeping this morning. Is it because... A little quiet, huh? Yeah, it's a cold, isn't it? What do you think it is, Scott? Let's assess it. Is it the... St. Patrick's Day parade or something? Everybody? I don't understand, but that's okay. It's anticipation, okay. Hallelujah. Well, that's okay. If you want to sit there and listen, I will do my best to fill the air. So uh, we're going to start reading together, first of all, and then we will uh, go right into this. So 1 John chapter 3, and uh, follow along as I read God's word this morning. First John, chapter three, starting in verse one, see what great love the father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Verse seven, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Wow. Let's pray. Wow, Lord. So we are people who believe your word is true. Every letter and every punctuation, every line, Lord, we believe it's breathed by your Holy Spirit through these men who wrote it down as they heard you speak. And here we are 2000 years later reading this, and sometimes that's a challenge, Lord. Your word is a challenge to us. But Lord, this morning, as your people, we want to understand. And so we invite your spirit to teach us, to, to lead us to truth this morning. And most of all, Lord, convict us where we need to be convicted and challenge us to be transformed into your image. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. So uh, we've been going through 1 John, and this is, I got to tell you, this is probably the hardest week for me. Um, I don't like to stand up and uh, appear like I'm critiquing. But some of those verses from John, you can't get around them. I mean, if he had talked with me before he wrote those down, I would have been like, you need to soften that puppy up a little bit. That's some rough stuff there. Remember that John is writing to Christians. That's a very important part that people seem to misunderstand a lot. John is not writing to unsaved people. He's writing to Christians who have voluntarily claimed they are followers of Jesus. I kind of view it the same way. I'm talking this morning to Christians If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you just heard religion or or maybe you've never been in church, you're welcome here and we're glad you're here. But this today is really for those who have given their lives to Jesus, because John is talking to those people. He's got churches that he's been planting with Christians in them, and there's liars and deceivers coming in and they're distorting the truth. And John is very seriously trying to make sure he delineates between those two, the lies and the truth. John's talking about two different worldviews. A worldview is a way we view the world, basically. That's why it's called a worldview. It's the lens you view reality with. Let me explain to you two major worldviews. One worldview says that humanity is getting better. And that humanity is, there's more peace, there's more love, there's more hope, there's more faith. And as long as humanity keeps learning... We're going to get better and better and better until eventually we will eradicate all war, all crime, all violence, and everything will be wonderful. One football team. The others won't. Nobody will cheer for the other one. See how it goes, you know. And the worldview is that mankind just has to learn. We have to discover. We have to learn scientific discoveries, and we have to uh, have evidence, and we have to get smarter, and we're going to learn how to overcome the problem. That's a worldview. The biblical worldview is very, very different. The biblical worldview says mankind inside of them is broken. The problems that we see outside of us are not getting better. They may be glossed over or explained away, but they're still there. And they're always going to be there until Jesus finally returns and makes everything right. That's the biblical worldview. I'm not defending either right now. I'm telling you there's a difference. The news, the unsaved world, the government, all, they're going to be from one worldview. And then you have a Christian worldview. Very different. Both worldviews assume there's a problem. One worldview says it's getting better. One worldview says it's not. Now, what's the evidence say? Well, 3,000 years ago, people were cruel There was violence throughout the world. People were selfish. They fought for their clan. They fought for their nation. They fought for their beliefs and their ideologies. 3,000 years ago, that was the state of humanity. I have drawn some pictures from 2016 for you. You might recognize some of these events. Check this out. 2016 was filled with war, violence, anger, grief, loss, protests, ideologies, abuse, massacres. It's not hard for me to stand up in front of a group of people and say, I believe things are no better than they were 3000 years ago when it comes to the world. I believe things are no different. I don't believe they're any worse or any better inside of the human DNA, inside of the human consciousness is still a propensity to violence and selfishness and greed and whatever I have to do to make my voice heard, even if it means hurting someone else, I'll do. I would say that's called the human condition. I would say that even with all of the advancements in knowledge and science and economics and everything that we have made, the human condition is still the same. I would say that supports a biblical worldview despite the amount of money and time that is spent trying to fix this problem, psychiatric help, self-help books, the prison, the correctional system, political promises, the problem still seems to be the same. And... One of the reasons I stand in front of people and declare what I declare is because the one thing nobody's willing to look at is they're not willing to view the human problem the way the Bible describes it. Everybody is willing to view it any other way except for that one way. But John is very, very clear. That's why when we read these words, sometimes they're so stark to us, because John is clear that until Jesus comes back, the human problem will continue to plague us. The propensity for the heart to be evil will continue to be there inside of us. We all need heart surgery is what we need. We all need transformation from within. That's the Christian belief system. Now, as we've been reading through John, he's been revealing antonyms for us, opposites, light and dark, life and death. Well, he reveals another one now, and it's Christian versus non-Christian. And it's kind of been sprinkled through the whole pamphlet we've been reading from him. But remember, he's got a point to this. He's writing to people who are getting confused and he's saying, listen, this is what the Christian looks like. And this is what the non-Christian looks like. And they're not the same. See, we live in a culture where it's blended together now, probably on purpose, because John tells us there's a liar who's who's behind this and he's blending it together to where here's Christian, here's non-Christian. And now they're kind of morphed to where you can't really tell. I would say that's not what John says. That's not what the Bible says. So when we read this, we have this constant barrage of things from our culture that's telling us one thing, and then John and Scripture telling us very opposite. If you've been in this church for the last seven and a half years that I've been here, you've heard me say over and over again: if you read your Bible, you're gonna see a stark difference between everything else you hear around you. Your your unsafe friends, your unsafe family, your some of your saved friends and family, even, you know? But if we're going to be honest, if we're I mean, if we're going to sit here and say we're Christians and we believe this word is true, then we have to take it seriously. So let's go through it and please don't throw anything at me this morning because I am just the messenger. I didn't write this. John did. Verse one. Chapter three. See what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. The very fact that you are a Christian is because of his love. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve heaven. You didn't earn heaven. You didn't do anything except hear something and believe it. Anybody can do it. So if you're sitting here you're going, I'm a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus. Understand that is a demonstration of his love for you that he has lavished on you. That's why we worship and sing, because we're responding to this love. Now, if you've adopted religion, there's no love involved in that. It's just obedience, and it's just following a bunch of rules and rituals. But if you've adopted Christianity and Jesus, it's all about God's love. And John, right before he's getting ready to slam it home, he says, I want you to remember, God lavishes his love on us. We're called children of God because he loves us so much. That motivates me. Why do I not do certain things? It's I'm motivated by love. It's not fear. I'm not afraid I'm going to hell. It's I'm motivated by love for a God who sent his son to die on a cross for me. That's why I don't do those things. That's why when I hear of Christians living that fake Christian life, it boils inside of me because he deserves better than that. Jesus deserves better than that. Stop making him look bad because he's awesome and he's changing my life. So it's a personal thing. And that's what John's writing from. John's angry at these people who are coming into these churches and spreading lies about Jesus. He says that I was there with Jesus. You're lying to these people. So he's harsh about it sometimes. To be holy means to be different. To be a child of God means to be different. Look what John says. He says, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Listen, if you are a Christian and I'm just going to be blunt this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus, the world does not understand how you tick. The world does not get your thought process. They don't get your worldview. They have a different lens they're looking through. And John says here, the world doesn't understand Christians and Christians really don't understand the world. The problem is when Christians try to fake like they get the world, that they dilute what Christianity is and it's no longer Christianity. And so my message to Christians as a pastor is don't try to dilute it. Stop playing the game. Either you is or you ain't. English 101 word, right? Yeah. Either you are a follower of Jesus or you're not a follower of Jesus. One or the other. You can't do both. It doesn't work. It doesn't exist. It's made up. It's fake. It's not reality. And John is adamant about that as we get into this. He says the reason the world doesn't know Christians is because it didn't know Christ. The reason the world doesn't understand you as a follower of Jesus is because he didn't, it doesn't understand the follower himself. It doesn't understand Jesus. So if the world gets you, Christian, if the world, if you're hanging out with them and they think like you do and you talk like they do, then you probably are not reflecting Jesus. You're reflecting something else. Verse two, one verse so far. Wow. Temperature went up already. Dear friends, see I love how John keeps going gentle here. You know, we're friends here now. (laughs) Don't you know that? Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. John is encouraging these Christians. You're a child of God. Right now, you stand out in a world that doesn't get you. It's lonely. Sometimes you'll feel like nobody understands the way you do. Everybody else is living a different way of life than you are. But John says, but know that one day when Jesus comes back, everything's going to make sense. Everything's going to be made right. And you will completely be wrapped up in reality and truth That right now seems so far away. John's steering them forward. Now, think about what he just said. He started out by saying the world doesn't get you and you shouldn't get the world. And he says, and I acknowledge that's a hard place to live. But one day. When Jesus comes back, it's going to reverse. You're going to be the one that gets it. So. Sometimes when I talk to Christians and they say, "I just want to be normal," the idea is it's, see, it's a reversal of what Scripture says. The idea is, the world is normal, the, the belief system, the worldview, the, the, the love of self and all that, the violence, the pictures, that's all normal, and that we are abnormal. But the truth in a matter is, Jesus is normal. Jesus is the setting. Jesus is the ultimate of normality. Abnormal people see themselves as normal. Think about it for a second. If everybody's crazy and David held is the only sane human alive. He's crazy. We're all normal. He's abnormal. We can't use the world as a measuring stick for my Christianity. I can't because the world is the abnormal. The world is the broken system. The world is in darkness. That's why John has laid this foundation for us. The world is blind. Those without Jesus cannot see the truth, he said. But everybody who's blind together... If you're the only one that can see and they're all blind and you're like, really, there's colors around. They're like, what? You're crazy. Do you get it? The world has a perspective that's broken, but they all have it. So if I live and immerse myself in the world and I try to determine the truth about Jesus from that, I'm not going to get him. Jesus is the standard. His word is my standard. I don't use the world to dictate my love for God. I don't use the world to dictate how I, we run church. I don't use the world to dictate who Jesus is, who God is. It's amazing how many people who don't know Jesus, but are Bible scholars. You ever met them on Facebook? You know, they'll throw verses out that they picked out of nowhere. You're like, oh, are you a Christian? <laughs> well, no, but well, then what do you have to say then? His word is my, my, my measuring stick. I I look at myself through that and that only. And if something doesn't measure up, I want to change it in myself. I'm not going to look at Facebook to determine whether I'm a Jesus follower. I'm not going to look at the world or listen to the president or watch the news to determine any of that. I'm going to let Jesus be my normal. Jesus is going to be my focus. Look at verse three. All who have this hope in him. Purify themselves just as he is pure. So remember, he just said that you're not going to be fitting in with the world. The world's not going to get you. You're going to be alone. And Jesus is adamant about this before he leaves. They're going to hate you because they hated me. You're going to be despised. Nobody's going to want you in their Tupperware club. You're just not going to have anything going on for you. It's going to be lonely. I know. Let's do this. I've got a great idea. Jesus says, let's have you Christians get together and support each other because the world's going to hate you. And then he says, but you have this hope that one day he's going to come back and it's all going to be made right. And suddenly you're going to be shining like stars in the universe. And then John says, those of us that have this hope of him coming back are supposed to purify ourselves. How do you purify yourself? The Holy Spirit convicts you of sin. Something in your life isn't right. Something you're missing. He convicts you. What does the Bible say you're supposed to do at that time? Confess, right? Confess it to him. Then what? Repent, right? It's called the purification cycle. He convicts you. You confess it. You repent of it. That may have to happen a hundred times in this one area because you're a little slow because we all are. Right. But he it's the cycle where that's how we purify ourselves. That's why John talked about the anointing of the Holy Spirit before he gets to this point, because he says the Holy Spirit within you will convict you of sin. Because if you just let sin rule your life, you're going to be in blind darkness like they are. But the only way to walk in the light as he is in the light is to let the Holy Spirit convict you of sin. I'm amazed at how many churches don't teach this anymore. You don't need we don't need to just get together and sing happy songs and tell ourselves that God blesses us and loves us, even though he does. Sometimes somebody has to stand up and say, when the Holy Spirit says, don't do it. Stop. That's a great sermon right there. Everybody go home early. Right. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of it. Stop doing it. Repent. Turn the other way. That's how you purify yourself. The Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit empowers us to live a pure life. You need the Holy Spirit inside of you. How do I get the Holy Spirit inside of you? We talked about it the last couple weeks. I asked Jesus into my heart as Lord and Savior. I make the decision that that way that I've been living isn't working. I keep spinning around and around and around the same problems and I never go away. So I give my life to Jesus. I surrender my way and say, I, I want you. I want you to drive now. I want you to be the lead. I bend the knee to him and the Holy Spirit and fills me and convicts me of things that are going to hurt me and kill me. And when I'm convicted, I confess it to him because he's not blind. He knows exactly what's going on. God. You've just let me know that that happened. I, I repent. Please forgive me for that. John says in chapter one of his very letter we're reading right now, if you confess he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you, purify you. Notice John saying we have to purify ourselves. There's no such thing as bleacher Christianity. You either are in the game or you ain't. There's no such thing as sitting in church. I'm pure now because I went to church. No, you're probably not. You may know about it, but you have to do something yourself. You have to confess and repent yourself. Verse four. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. So what is sin? Sin is the breaking of God's laws. As Christians, we acknowledge that God created the world and that when God created the world, he created it to work a certain way. And when you or I choose a different way than the way he made it, that's called sin. The world's view is there's no such thing as sin. You do your thing, I'll do my thing, and we'll just pretend we're getting along. That's the world's perspective. But the Bible, Christians, is very, very different. There is a right, and there is a wrong, and there's no gray. There's either this way, Christian, or there's this way, not Christian. And if this is the way you're living, you're supposed to repent, confess and repent, and be purified, And John says that sin is breaking the law. Everyone who sins breaks God's laws, breaks how life is supposed to be. And then he says sin is lawlessness, meaning sin is the action of being without law, rebellion, selfishness, false independence. That's all sin. Think about it this way. There we go. The heart of lawlessness is one that flippantly casts off God's instruction for its own desires. That's a lawless heart. You can't tell me what to do, God. I'll do what I want to do. Now, this can be in a very subtle form. And this can be cloaked in Christianity. Even there's churches filled with people who are lawless in their belief system and their actions. But John says that is not How Christians live. Now, there's a difference between a sin and a miss. Let me explain what I mean. Some people take these words from John to say if you ever sin, you need to get saved again. You need to come back to Jesus again. And if you don't repent of that sin, You're going to hell, which is really crazy if you think about it, because what if on your deathbed you have a thought and then you die and you've been living a stellar Christian life for 50 years? And all of a sudden, because of that one thought, God's like, no, I'm sorry. I mean, all these are taken care of. But that one. Nope. You didn't take care of that one. You're going to hell. That is not what this is talking about. John is talking about a heart condition, a habitual lifestyle of sin. He's not talking about somebody who made a mistake. He's talking about somebody who cast off flippantly God's instruction. John is going to go on to say, you can't be a Christian and have this. Now, that's where it gets confusing because people are like, well, you're saying Christians never sin. Listen, we're human. Right. We all make mistakes. But if your heart is flippantly casting off God's instruction and latching onto the world's worldview, there's probably something wrong in your heart surgery. Let's keep going. Verse five. He says, everyone who breaks the law is sinless, but you know, is lawless, but you know that he appeared, Jesus, so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. So that's what it means. It means that Jesus, who was without sin, came to earth, went to the cross, removed our sin from us. Well, what do I do when I make mistakes? I go back to the cross. I once again appeal to the blood of Jesus to purify me. That's the Christian life, the purification cycle. And then look at verse six. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And that can be difficult to hear because you're like, you know what? I've made mistakes. But remember, it's habitual. Keeps on sinning. If you have this Sunday morning life and then a Friday night life, and even though you know it's wrong, you just keep doing it. You probably fit in this category. Now, if you are somebody, you make mistakes, you get angry sometimes, somebody cuts you off and you have to, you, you hit that gas pedal a little bit, then catch yourself or something. Then that's not what he's talking about here. You need to just go back to the Lord and have him train you and help help you learn to be self-control. He's talking about somebody who has a lifestyle of sin. Nobody's perfect. You're not perfect. Amy, you're not perfect. I said it, yeah. Did you hear that, Tom? I said it. Nobody's perfect. That's why we needed the perfect sacrifice in the first place. Jesus is the only perfect. And he went to the cross. So you're not perfect. We're not talking about perfection. Paul said, I'm striving for perfection. All right? A Christian, a real Christian, should be working to not sin. I should be learning. That's why we have a saying at this church. Are you more like Jesus this year than you were last year? Because you should be getting better and better at it. Not settling into the pattern and rut you've been in for 20 years. You should be becoming more loving. You should be getting more patient with people. You should be tolerant of people's stupidity. You should be. The word is not perfection. It's progress. You should be making progress, Christian. That's what John's talking about. John says if somebody continues to live in this habitual state of sin, they don't know Jesus. They don't know the Jesus I know. They don't know the one I walked with. They have no idea who he is. They've adopted religion. John knows what he's talking about. Everybody with me so far? Trying to be as nice as I can. Verse seven. Dear children. Whenever John says, dear children, dear friends, I get a little nervous. Do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does not, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of Man came and appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Christian, non-Christian, no third category. There's no middle ground. I always hear people, well, you know, they're Christian, but they haven't been living it for a while. What does that mean? Because John just said, if you're not living it, you're not it. How do I know if I'm living it? What is my guideline? His word. Not the world. The world's changing all the time. All right. What's cool today is not going to be cool tomorrow. It's going to change. Live a little. You'll find out. But the word is the same. Let me ask you a question. Is pornography sin? How do you know? Okay. Somebody quoting some good scripture. The word pornography is not in scripture. So how do we know it's sin? It's not of God. And we know it's not of God because the word describes a very different lifestyle. Okay. Now, somebody who makes a mistake and looks at pornography as a Christian doesn't mean they're condemned to hell. It means they need to repent. But if they have a lifestyle of pornography on the side, then they probably have to relook at their heart. Is it judgmental for me to say that? Are you sure? Because the world's message is, hey, the body's beautiful. And if they want to live that way, who am I to say they're wrong? I'm not saying they're wrong. The Bible says they're wrong. I can still love that person caught in pornography. In fact, if I love them, I'll tell them that's not good for you. In fact, your marriage will suffer. Your relationships will suffer. Your view of women will suffer, sir. If you live in that fake reality, you probably should stop. Is that not loving? Is that harsh? See, the world's worldview says, don't you correct me. Don't you tell me anything that's different. Don't you say I'm wrong. Who do you think you are? And my answer is, I don't think I'm anybody. I'm just telling you what it says and I'm a Christian, and I'm trying to do this with you. Is homosexuality wrong? How do you know? Unlike pornography, that word is in the Bible. Now, just because the world in darkness says, how dare you talk to somebody who loves somebody else and judge them that way? That doesn't mean that's reality. It just means it's a broken worldview. Now, what does it mean when I'm supposed to not judge? I'm not supposed to walk around condemning people who don't know Jesus for not following Jesus. That's what it means not to judge. Because if it was if judgment meant any time I say somebody's wrong, then John judges in Scripture. And if it's wrong, you need to cross it out of your Bible. But nobody will. Because it's Scripture. Calling sin sin is not judging people. Judging people is coming up to somebody who doesn't know Jesus and expecting them to act like they know Jesus. I promote, I promote Jesus. We're talking about scripture. I'm not going to endorse a sinful lifestyle, whether it's pornography, homosexuality, adultery, whatever it is. I'm going to stick with the word. But I don't need to walk around like a conceited jerk all the time treating people poorly. Right, right. But what about Christians? That's the part nobody preaches anymore. The Bible's very clear. We're supposed to judge one another. Christians. If you're out there in pornography, I'm supposed to come up to you if I find out and go. That is not how you want to live, and you may get angry at me and may leave the church. But I'm doing my job, and I can do it with love. And it's not being wrong; it's being scriptural. And so, when a world says pornography is okay, or adultery is okay, or sins okay, or sex before marriage is okay, or all these other ways they redefine words, I can be a Christian and say, "No, it's not okay." It doesn't mean I hate somebody. See, that's a lie from Satan. He's trying to get everybody off track. He's trying to distort truth. I need the Holy Spirit to teach me truth. I can love a friend that's trapped in pornography. But I don't have to agree with them. And if they ask me, I'll be honest and tell them, no, I don't think that's a good way to live. I don't think that's God's best for you. And they can justify it all they want. It doesn't change it. That's not judging them. I'm loving them. Judging them is when I treat them poorly because they are not a Christian and not living Jesus way. But if you're a Christian and you're living in pornography, it's a whole different ballgame. You're you're a Christian. You said you're a follower of Jesus. You're making Jesus look bad now. Now we have a problem. I'm coming to take your computer away from you. See, because if we take the world's view of judgmentalism, and I hear it all the time. Matthew 7, judge, do not judge. And then they forget every other verse in that whole chapter that talks about the whole concept. They take it out of context. Ryan, how dare you tell me I'm wrong? Don't judge. Don't judge. Don't judge. That's the world's view. Don't let the world dictate to you what Jesus is talking about. Let his word dictate to you. You know what the word says? When a brother stumbles, restore him gently. How do you do that if you don't tell him? Right? If you stumble and I'm like, hey, well, you know, hey, we're all we're all we all make mistakes. And you know, who's so I'm saying is stumble and, you know, all this stuff we do, and we talk ourselves into a circle. No, I know you stumbled because this is the way the word says Christians live. And you're not doing that right now. And I want you to do it. So I'm going to help you. And when you come back and you repent, like the Bible says, I'm restoring you gently back into relationship. See, when we start taking the Bible seriously, it gets sticky. I tell you, I don't like this. I'd rather just tell you God loves you. Let's talk about football. (laughs) My friends, just because the world says it's judging doesn't mean it is. Christians are not to judge the world. That's God's job. Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. We should do the same. There are a lot of people, friends, neighbors, family members who are blinded in darkness, trapped in sin and justifying it. And the news will celebrate it. And the the articles on the Internet will celebrate it. And we now have, you know, the White House's colors will celebrate it. And you know what? That's not my job. That's not your job as Christians. Our job is to live a different life and show that Jesus is the way. And one day he's coming back again. But in the church, whole different scenario, whole different scenario. Stop making us look bad. Either he is, he ain't. Man, I love that saying. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna make a t-shirt with that. Either he is, or he ain't. Let's keep going here. Verse 9. Oh wait, look at the end of verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. In who? Us! That's right. Inside of us! The devil's work is to lie and let sin reign and help me help me to justify it and convince myself I'm okay and who can tell me what to do. And I'm my own man and blah, blah, blah. But the son of man, Jesus came and hung on a cross to defeat sin, to defeat the devil's work in my life. How does he do it? Because he convicts me and I confess it and I repent of it. And I live in the purification cycle and I get better and better and better at it. And as I get better, I get more loving. I get more, more endearing. I, I treat people better. I'm not angry anymore. It's purification cycle. Verse nine. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. No one who's born of God. No Christian will continue to live in this cycle of sin. Why? Because the Holy Spirit convicting them. And you know, the Bible says that if you ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit enough, your heart will become seared and you will no longer hear it. That's why Christians who are Christians and then they live in this alternate lifestyle this, this second thing going on, whatever it is, and they continue to do it. They hide it from everyone. You can't have this. This is my pet. <laughs> hmm, So nice. That's crazy. It's creepy. Anyway, so. <laughs> truth of the matter is, though, they have this second life going on. The Bible says that they will stop hearing. The Holy Spirit will be like, that's not good. You don't need to do that. You don't need to watch that. Don't go to that website. Don't do it. This is gonna hurt you, don't do it, but you continue to disobey and go to the website, eventually that voice will get distant and be shouted out by sin. That's what the Bible says. So John says, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Son of God came to destroy that work. No one who's born of God will continue to sin. Why? Because God's seed remains in them. They cannot, cannot, cannot go on sinning. Because they have been born of God. There's a new spirit in me. My old broken spirit has been removed. My new spirit now has the Holy Spirit working with me. And when he convicts me, I respond to that. That's a Christian lifestyle. John says no Christian can ignore that. If you do, you probably aren't. Verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Here we go, John. You are gonna be all judgmental again on us. This is how we know, people, anyone who does anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. I'm going to end with this truth. There are some brothers and sisters that are hard to love. Yeah, I just said it. I have known Christians who are very, very difficult to be around. Some of you are like, is he looking at me? That's right. How can I love the unlovable? I have to get help. How can I love the difficult person who's always in my face? How can I love that person at church who just says the wrong thing at the wrong time all the time? How do I love that judgmental Christian? How do I love that harsh one? How do I love those cowboy fans? How do I do it? (laughs) I need help. I need some power. I need some anointing. I need grace to be able to love. And John said, real Christians not only love their brothers and sisters, but do what's right. So if I need extra help and grace to love the unlovable... I also need help and grace to do what's right. Maybe you're a Christian and you're caught in a cycle. You need help. You need help. It's not going to stop on its own. The way you get help is you find somebody to walk with you. That's why there's more than one of us. You trust somebody. And you share with them the cycle. And you say, I need your help. And then they pray for you. And they ask the Holy Spirit to not let you sleep at night if you have this going on. To bother you and pester you. And they call you up and they encourage you and they stand with you. That's Christianity. Amen? Let's view Christianity the way the Bible says, not the way the world says. Because they're probably getting it wrong. Everybody stand, please. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I have spent the last 45 minutes talking to Christians, but I don't want to make it seem like everybody's a Christian because the Bible is very clear. How do you become a Christian? You have to ask Jesus. You have to ask him. It doesn't happen automatically. We've said it many times. Just because you're an American doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because you happen to go to church one day doesn't make you a Christian. There's that saying going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Right. It's uh-huh, you know, it's one of those things. It's the truth, though. Christianity is a decision. I choose to believe what the Bible says. I may not even know everything the Bible says. Probably don't. But I know the Bible says one thing. When I was born, I was born with a broken heart. A propensity to violence and destruction. And without someone to save me out of that mess, I'm going to die in it. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not die, but would live and live forever. That's the invitation of Jesus. If you have never, ever, ever prayed the prayer and said, I want to be a Christian. I'm going to lead you in it right now. Maybe you've been in church your whole life and you've never done it. It shouldn't be a time where you're like, well, I became a Christian sometime between 1979 and 85 when I was kind of going to church. No, no, no. You should know when you asked him. The Bible says Jesus stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. And when you open your heart, he comes in. And he'll sit with you and he'll transform you from the inside out. All those struggles you're going through, he'll help you learn to overcome those. All that dead end life you've been living, he'll change it. But you have to make the decision. So I want you to bow your heads. And I'm going to lead a prayer this morning. It's not magic. It's simply an invitation. And if you have never asked Jesus to be your Lord... Or maybe you did 35 years ago and you've been living a hellion life since then. I would say, come on home. Stop running. Stop running. Come on home. The water's nice. When you get in real Jesus living, it'll blow your world away. I can tell you by experience. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be perfect. In fact, perfect people are really not working for Jesus because they're usually prideful. Jesus is inviting the broken Jesus is inviting the ones who say, I can't do it on my own. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to ask, even if you're a Christian, if you'll pray this with me. And if you have never asked Jesus into your heart, we would love to introduce you to Jesus. And we would love to have you be a part of a church that's taking the Bible seriously. He wants to change your life. So Christians and those that are not Christians, but want to be, would you pray this with me? Say, dear Jesus. I admit that I'm a sinner. I have made so many mistakes. Even as I try hard, I make mistakes. And I don't know everything about the Bible. But I know what it says about you. It says that you love the world. And you sent your son to die. I'm a cross for my sin. And I believe that. And I receive your invitation. I receive salvation. I want to become a Christian today. So I ask you to come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me live a different life. Today I give you my life. And I become a Christian. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you prayed that for the first time, would you honor us by letting us know? Is anybody here pray that for the very first time this morning? Anybody at all? Okay, one, two. Anybody else? Come on, don't be shy. This is good news for us. (laughs) Anybody else? All right. Thank you so much. We want to love you and bless you. If you prayed it and you've become a Christian, we would just love to get to know you. We could give you a Bible. We want you to begin this journey with us. Because that's we all were here one day. We all started somewhere. All right. So, hey, it's great to have you guys here. And we are very, very blessed to be a part of your life. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you for my brothers and my sisters. I thank you for those that have prayed and asked you to be uh, in their lives for the first time. Lord, I ask that you would surround them, bless them, protect them, help them grow and learn. Keep the enemy from lying to them any further, Lord. And, Father, I pray for my brothers and my sisters, those of us that have given our lives to you, and maybe we're struggling with sin or we're struggling with this or with that. Lord, I ask that you would help us to focus on your word. Let your word be our guide and help us, Lord, to live the Jesus life. Be with my friends this week, Lord. Bring us together for home groups and together again next Sunday in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Give somebody a hug.